Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The accomplishments, the incredible heroism of Canadian Army Private Jess LaRochelle, 24 years of age. What he accomplished in Afghanistan on the 14th of October, 2006. I said earlier, it's usually the uh, what we see in Hollywood movies um, with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, except this was real. 24-year-old Canadian, seriously wounded, two of his fellow troopers dead. He battled insurgents alone, protecting the rest of his squad, using two machine guns. One was a C6, which is a uh, machine gun, which is normally operated by two individuals, two men, two, two, uh, two soldiers. And um, he operated that alone, along with a light machine gun. And uh, when, as I understand it, when Lieutenant General Omer Lavoie, uh, who's in charge, who's in command of the of the Canadian forces in that battle, when he called in artillery support for his own troops, he had to alert the gunners that mere meters separated his Canadian soldiers from the insurgents he wanted hit. This is uh, October 14, 2006, is a date we all must be aware of, should be aware of. Private Jess LaRochelle is someone we need to be aware of, and need to uh, properly acknowledge he has received the military, the uh, Star of Military Valor, the second highest decoration. Uh, but he is, according to um, uh, Rick Hillier, the former Chief of Defense Staff, General Hillier, on this program, um, Jess LaRochelle should be considered for the for the Victoria Cross. And I, I understand that, and I know that General Lavoie feels the same way. Um, General Lavoie, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate you coming on. A little bit of a trouble with the phones, but but here we are. Yeah, good afternoon, Roy, and uh, again, thanks for having me on the show this afternoon, and thanks for all you do to support our troops. Uh, my honor, and we collectively, I'm sure the vast majority of my listeners across this country feel as strongly about our troops and our veterans as I do. So it's October 14th, 2006, Royal Canadian Regiment, you were the battle group commander, and you were in that firefight that day. What was it, what was it like that day? Before the firefight starts, where were you expecting an attack? Well, you know, back at that time, I guess, in... Uh Six. We're still in the tail end of Operation Medusa, so I guess we were always expecting attack. That's, a, that's your job as a as a commander, or sort of have a pessimistic view in terms of what the enemy is about to do. Um, and the morning started off typically as every other morning um, started off. Uh, our headquarters, my battle group headquarters, was was deployed forward, of course. And every day we would head out to do in army terms is called battlefield circulation, which means nothing more than uh, getting outside the wire and, and visiting your positions, your defensive uh, strong points, uh, your commanders. So you have a face-to-face with your, your commanders who are out there. And probably just as important, if not more importantly, is so that your troops see that uh, you know, the, the guy who's in command of that battle group is out there with them sharing the sort of same dangers and risks, and you talk with the troops at the same uh, at the same time. So that's how it started off Um we got to the position where this occurred called uh, Strong Point Center. So how much time did you have to get set for defending your positions? I read the accounting in Legion magazine. It's a really well-written piece about uh, about what you faced, about what uh, Jess LaRochelle did, uh, Private LaRochelle did. What were, you, uh, what, what were you facing and how much time did you have to prepare? Oh, 
I would say probably less than 30 seconds because the way it rolled out was I got to the position uh, with my, what we call our tactical headquarters. So it's, it's my armored vehicle and three armored, three other armored vehicles, which includes my regimental sergeant major, uh, Chief War Officer Bobby Gerard, who sadly was killed uh, about a month later uh, at another ambush that we were that we'd encountered. And we were on the position probably about a half an hour or so. So like I said, talked to the commanders, just checked that the defensive position is is, is rolling out how um, I wanted it and sit there and talk with the troops uh, at, the, at the same time. And just as we'd mounted up to into our vehicles to head to the next position, a threat warning came across the radio saying uh, that intelligence had picked up there, there was about a, there was an imminent threat of attack at that position. And then that coincided, I think, within seconds of getting the transmission uh, with this salvo of uh, RPGs, rocket-propelled rocket grenades, and um, enemy uh, small arms and machine gun fire onto the onto the position. So there was absolutely zero um, zero warning uh, between the time they came across the radio and the time the um, the uh, enemy uh, rounds and ammunition started hitting us. And you had to call out uh, danger close to the artillery gunners, and that meant that uh, there were meters, just mere meters, separating the Canadians from uh, from the Taliban. Yeah. So so what happened was that. You know, almost instantaneously, I could hear on because as a commander, you're mo- you're monitoring several um, radio networks, and so I could hear across the company network, and that that company at the time that Jess Rochelle was in was in was Charles Company. That uh, immediately a contact report was coming across, and that contact report had indicated that there were two soldiers killed uh, on that first um, enemy salvo, which was. Um, uh, Private Blake Williamson and Sergeant uh, Darcy Tedford, who had been in the armored vehicle sitting beside Jess's position. So I heard that, and of course, you know, I'm there with four Lab 3 armored vehicles, which are, are pretty heavily armed with, uh, you know, 25 millimeter cannon. So my initial reaction was, well, you know, we're going to support this platoon position, and I, and I ordered a counterattack, so I took my four vehicles. And we went into an attack position, and we um, waded into the enemy position with the 25 millimeters and, and the, our 7.62 machine, uh, machine guns uh, firing. And then, uh, so that assisted the actions that Jess had taken in terms of his uh, immediate reaction to, to fire rockets and machine gun. And then we settled back into into firing position to continue to support the uh, the platoon. But it became apparent very quickly that the Taliban were behind these you know really thick mud walls, so the effectiveness of our even our big cannons uh, was limited. So the only alternative was to bring in a, uh, you know, a, it goes back to almost like Vimy, right, a rolling artillery barrage in behind the Taliban and just sweep them up there and, and bring the artillery in as close as possible to, wow. to finish them off and, and, and neutralize them. And that's what you referred to, um, Roy, as, as danger close, which is simply, uh, you know, there's an algorithm there that, okay, within a certain distance, you don't bring artillery uh, to friendly troops. And if you do that, then you have to, one, have the authority of a commander, which I was, and two, you need to warn not just the gunners, but all your troops in that location and say, I'm bringing it in close, so, you know, batten down the hatches uh, and and get under cover so you don't get hit by your your own own fire. General, this is amazing uh, uh, to know that, you know, this this went on on this day, October 14, 2006. Everybody in this country should know about this. So tell us, please, about Private Jess LaRochelle. I understand he hadn't been in Afghanistan very long, 
when this battle began. And what was he facing? Tell us a bit about what he had to deal with and what you saw him do. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and I'll be very honest, up to that point in time, you know, the battle group was uh, almost 1,500 soldiers strong. So, you know, I can't pretend that I knew every uh, every soldier in the in the battle group and knew very little of just uh, up to that point other than probably, you know, what the language you're shooting the shit with them uh, when it comes to, to visit the positions. But on that particular morning, um when that salvo had come in uh, and the RPG specifically uh, had hit the antenna, I think, of the, the Lab 3 that um, Sergeant Tedford and, and Private Williamson were in and killed them, that's the instant where Jess, despite being wounded as well from that same RPG attack, um, you know, had the professionalism, the wherewithal, the tactical acumen, and the courage to uh, arm and fire several uh, M72 rockets, which are a, a light sort of anti-tank rocket that uh, infantry soldiers carry, and that certainly broke the attack uh, of the Taliban because it's not something you want to have uh, as incoming incoming fire. And then once you know, after doing that, and despite, despite being wounded, then got onto his C6 machine gun, as you mentioned in your opening remarks, and then just started pouring down a a, a, a lethal. Uh, beaten zone of fire in, in the direction of where the Taliban were. So those combined actions, um, you know, certainly were, that was the immediate effect uh, of breaking that on, on the Taliban. And what was done after that, including the counterattack that we put in, was just sort of the, a supporting action. Yeah, I understand as well, Private La Rochelle was impacted by an RPG, as you said, badly wounded, broken back, uh, two fractured vertebrae in his neck, detached retina, blown right eardrum, and, uh, and and with all of that, he still fought with his machine gun and with the uh, with the M72 rocket launchers. He fought with all of that, and he st- and he exposed himself uh, to uh, to gunfire from the Taliban because he had to. He wanted to see where his fire was being directed. Just a, a, amazing. Yeah, no. I mean, what, 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 as you're watching this in the middle of a battle, what's going through your mind as you're watching this young man fight? Well, yeah, at, at that very instant, uh, you know, my thought was certainly we need to do everything we can do to support this platoon and to support him because he was in a very vulnerable, exposed position. And as you can imagine, if you're the enemy and you're receiving these this fire both from rocket and machine gun, guess what? You know, all of their uh, their fire is going to be concentrated uh, on him, which it, which it was. So, you know, the immediate reaction is, okay, we need to, to put this counterattack in and and support him and the platoon. But, you know, after after that, and, and it's the same, you know, there's countless of stories where, for me, the greatest pride, or my greatest pride in, in Afghanistan was watching soldiers like uh, Jesse LaRochelle, and he stands out of uh, the foremost as, you know, despite the wounds, despite the danger, despite the risk, despite probably every sane nerve in your body saying, you know, you know, get the hell out of there, uh, he stood there and, and he fought. And, you know, and he stood there and fought, knowing that you know he was he was very vulnerable. He was great jeopardy, he was, you know, at great risk of of being further wounded um, or, or worse. Uh, but he just had that that courage uh, to continue to fight and and support the rest of his uh, his platoon. And nothing nothing in my experience in Afghanistan gave me greater pride as a you know both as a soldier, a leader, and, and as a Canadian to see soldiers like Jess LaRochelle uh, do that. Wow. I also want to uh, ask you, uh, General, to mention a book that was written by uh, 
uh, Jess LaRochelle's company, Sergeant Major, in just a moment. But would you please tell us, uh, in your words, what is it that makes Jess LaRochelle a, a candidate for the Canadian Victoria Cross? Yeah, no, absolutely, Roy. So, I mean, you know, in his case, I signed off on his, when you, a soldier is written up for a valorous citation and it's put forward back to Ottawa, the commander signs off. So in that case, I signed it off, and then and I was sort of in the very guess, fortunate position that not only am I signing it off, but I actually witnessed it firsthand. And that valor recommendation goes forward to Ottawa, but it's not, it's not, well, it doesn't go forward for a specific award. So as you recognize, those are the Victoria Cross, which is our, our highest award for valor, then the Star of Military Valor, and then the Medal of Military Valor. So it goes forward, and it's for Ottawa to decide um, which category it falls in. And when I signed off on his, and having seen it firsthand, um, I thought, well, this is certainly uh, a contender for a, a Victoria Cross, which, as you know, it has not been issued um, uh, to a Canadian soldier, sailor, or airman, for that matter, since World War II. We didn't issue any in, um, in Korea, and we didn't issue any in Afghanistan, unlike our other Commonwealth uh, allies who also have the Victoria Cross. And if you look at that citation and you compare it to similar citations of Victoria Cross winners from either World War II or World War One, it has all the it has all that key ingredients of what you expect to see at Victoria Cross. It's a soldier who is on the front clearly uh, in the presence of the enemy, is wounded, despite those wounds, uh, continues to take action uh, and decisive action to bring the fight back to the enemy and to turn the tide and essentially um, win the uh, win the battle. And certainly that you know, characterizes everything uh, that Jess uh, Larachelle did, uh, did that morning. A Canadian hero, October 14th, Absolutely. 2006, a young Canadian hero, and he's still recovering from wounds he received at that particular battle, as I understand it. Um, General, that you also heard from uh, Jess Larachelle's company, Sergeant Major, uh, Chief Warrant Officer John Barnes, who wrote a book, uh, and I'd like you to share that with us, please. What, what's the book? Yeah, so, I mean, very coincidentally, as I mentioned to you earlier, I received a, an email from this morning. So, uh, Chief Warrant Officer John Barnes is the, the uh, company started major for Charles Company, which is the same company that Jeff Rochelle was in. Um, he was wounded himself um, on the 3rd of September 2006 um, during the opening attack of, uh, during Op Medusa, where, I also, where our battle group had also lost uh, four soldiers killed. And that morning of that attack in, on 3 September 2006, we were going against an objective that uh, NATO had assigned is called Objective Rugby, but which the soldiers um, familiarly uh, called the White School. It was a, a white schoolhouse uh, on the, uh, on, on the um, north side of the uh, Argandab River. And uh, John was wounded that morning, uh, also by an RPG, um, as he was collecting the, the dead and wounded, what we call a casualty collection point. And the name of that book is aptly uh, called uh, White School Black Memories. And it's, you know, in, in a very nutshell, it's a bit of an account of John's career as a soldier in the, in the Canadian Armed Forces and in the Royal Canadian Regiment. But the focus really is on Afghanistan. And it really is then on, on John's um, fight uh, with post-traumatic stress disorder uh, as a result of his, uh, his time in Afghanistan. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.